0: Let's get into our message for today. Uh, why don't you stand to your feet, and we're going to jump right in and read from the Word of God, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. Amen. Let, let's read together. Read nice and loud. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought, take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ, amen. Let me pray, Father God, we pray that as we uh, work through the scripture today and as we look at this last sermon, On spiritual warfare Lord God that you will do a work to ready us for all that lies ahead God you are well able so Lord help us to take hold of that which you have given us and to live out this life for your glory and for your great purpose in and through us we pray it in Jesus name and all God's people said amen amen Amen. you may be seated You may be seated. Amen. A couple weeks ago, I started uh, a series, uh, well, this last sermon, really, and in two parts on five foundational truths. And uh, we went through the first two in the first week of uh, the sermon series. You can turn to the next slide because we're using the analogy of basketball, learning basic fundamentals uh, in order to also learn spiritual warfare fundamentals. Uh, I, I talked about how at one point I was deceived to think I was more of a basketball superstar than I actually was, amen. I had some skills, yes I did, but I did not have as many skills as I thought I had. Let me give you one example of that before we go on. In my junior year of high school, we had an incredible basketball team, maybe the best team we ever had in the history of our school we won our league, we won our state sectionals, and we finally lost uh, in the Elite Eight of New York State. So we were a really, really good team, and I was privileged to be on that team, but on that team I had a particular role, and that is I had the best seat in the house for most of our games. I kept that bench warm and I did my job well, y'all. I I did my job well, but I I remember that last game. It was heartbreaking because we had come so far. We were one game away from the final four in the state, and I was watching the game from my my great seats, and and just, just, oh, it was hard to see it, but then they called my name, and I was ready to go in that game at just the right moment with nine seconds left and down by 20 points. But... But I was just excited to get in the game. And and so we had the ball at at half court and and the other player was passing it in to me. And I said, you know, we lost this game. The season's over. It's a disappointment. But I can do one thing before this is over. I'm going to make a basket. And so I got the ball at half court. This guy was all over me. I'm like, why are you covering me so tight? This game is not close, but I had it in my mind. Shake and bake, dribble around the back and I'm going right to the basket. That was my plan, and so I put my plan into action. I did my shake and bake, and I dribbled around the back, and then I could see he's no longer in front of me. I shook him, and I booked him. I don't know what you'd say, but he he was out of my way, and just the basket was in front of me. There was one problem. I no longer had the basketball. (laughs) I turned around. He was shooting a layup at the other end. Listen, y'all. You can have all the shake and bake in Christianity that you want. If we don't have the foundational fundamentals of what it means to have our life rooted and grounded in the knowledge of God and who we are in Christ, then we're not going to win the game. We're not going to win the game. And so last, a uh, couple weeks ago, we talked about dribbling the fact that the first fundamental Christians don't fight for victory but for from victory we have victory in Jesus Christ he has overcome and then we talked about the fact that demons are not the primary reason for your sin we've got to take responsibility y'all we're gonna look at that a little bit more today but the next fundamental I want to look at from a basketball standpoint is passing the basketball listen it doesn't matter how good you are on the basketball court If you're Michael Jordan, if you're Dr. J, if you're Steph Curry, it doesn't matter how good you are. If the other team knows that you never pass the ball, you're not going to score. As good as you might be, you're not better than five other people who will guard you on the basketball court. If you don't get rid of that ball at some point, you're never going to score the basketball. You need to learn how to pass the ball. And the third fundamental I want to look at for spiritual warfare is this. Spiritual warfare starts in your mind. Spiritual warfare starts in your mind. You have to realize that what is going on outside of you, what is going on around you, you've got to deal with that, but it starts inside of you and in particular in the war and the battle for your thought life. Your thought life is going to determine what your life looks like. And so we're going to look at that as we go on today. I want to turn to a scripture in 2 Corinthians. We just looked at it, uh, chapter 10. And I'm just going to look at it from the second half of verse 4. From the second half of 4 and into verse 5. He says, on the contrary, speaking of the weapons that we fight with, they have divine power. Somebody say divine power god gives us weapons that have god power with them they have divine power listen to this to demolish strongholds to demolish stronghold what is a stronghold i'm glad you asked a stronghold is a fortress that would be used by an army in war a stronghold is a fort that is built by an army so that the enemy cannot, will not, will have no way of overcoming them. That's what a stronghold is. But the scripture says that you and I have strongholds in our lives that God has to demolish, that God has to tear down in order that we can live out this life in a way that reflects the freedom and the beauty and the power of the lord jesus christ he says we need to demolish strongholds and then he says in verse five now he's going to give us three methods three ways by which we demolish strongholds number one we demolish arguments demolishing strongholds means you'll demolish arguments demolish pretensions and then take captive every thought and we're going to look at what each one of those is. So let's start with this idea of demolishing strongholds, demolish or demolishing arguments. Now the word that's used there for arguments is a Greek word logismos. Logic you get from that or logos or word. Jesus is the logos. He is the word of God. But this word particularly means not just regular logic, but it means fallacious and deceptive reasoning based on evil intention so he says we need to demolish these kind of arguments this deceptive reasoning that is going on now what does that look like in your life what does that look like in my life let let me put it this way this word arguments here is referring to sneaky a sneaky and unredeemed way of thinking where somewhere where I'm able to easily excuse myself from any of the dirt that I may have done. I can do that through logic. I can do that in all kinds of different ways through rationalization. I can say, yeah, I did that, but I've got all these reasons why that's not really so bad. I can excuse myself, but at the same time, I want to insist that everyone else is held accountable. That is what this is talking about in terms of arguments. This is a dirty way of of reasoning. And so here's what we need to do when we talk about demolishing arguments. We have to demolish. Demolishing arguments means that you fire your inner lawyer, the one who's always working to get you off on a technicality. You have one and I have one. And when we get in trouble or when we know we're doing wrong, we've got something that's saying to us, okay, but it's not that wrong. And we have this inner lawyer that we have to fight with. And we understand that we've got to fire that lawyer if we're going to demolish this stronghold. Amen? You got to stop that way of thinking that excuses self and looks to put blame somewhere else. Number two, you need to demolish every pretension. This is all part of this demolishing of strongholds. So a pretension means an exaggerated evaluation of what one is or of what one has done. It's conceit, it's pride, and arrogance. James chapter 4 verse 6, such a simple verse. It says, God loves, God hates the proud, but gives grace God loves the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Listen, when we're talking about demolishing pretension, a pretentious, conceited, prideful way of being, we need as believers in Jesus Christ to come way down from the idea that we are better than any other person. Amen. We easily look at someone that struggles with something perhaps that you've overcome as a believer. How could they still struggle with that? I tell you what, I just prayed and the Lord just delivered me. I don't understand what they're going through. You're going through something else right now (laughs) that you're not even being honest about. We need to be delivered from the idea that somehow we are over someone else or that we are better than someone else brothers and sisters god puts us all on the same footing jesus is calling you and jesus is calling me to the foot of the cross the great equalizer of life he calls us to the very foot of the cross not to a cloud above the cross that looks down and says, oh, look at them. Oh, I need to pray for them. They're, they're, They're struggling as if you're not. God puts us all in the same place where we are people of need and need to ask God to be set free. Now, listen, that may sound, I don't know what that sounds like to some of you. To some people, that may sound like bad news. But I'm telling you right now, that is the beginning of the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because God comes for sinners. God comes for broken ones. God comes for those who are struggling. God comes for those who cannot heal themselves, cannot deliver themselves, cannot save themselves. And when I realize I'm at the foot of the cross, I become one who is ready for the touch of Jesus Christ. I'm ready for the very touch of God. God calls you to the foot of the cross, nowhere else. Listen, let me put it this way. Jesus doesn't save the better people. Jesus saves the broken people. He doesn't save the better. He saves the broken. Demolish every pretension. And then lastly here, he he says, take captive every thought. Now that word, Thought is simply what ruminates in your mind, what you are thinking about, what's going on in your mind. Brothers and sisters, you need to think about what you think about. Amen? You need to think about what you think about. You need to spend time to reflect on what is my mind on much of the time. Where am I going with your mind? Let me put it another way. You need to own up to what you allow your mind to fester upon. Amen? We need to be aware of those things. For example, do you allow your mind, when you allow your mind to fester on anger, on unforgiveness, on lust, on greed, do you allow in your mind a comfortable place for those types of thoughts to just be there to ruminate on and not to be challenged at all there's this little corner in my cerebellum i don't even know if i'm getting the brain science right but there's this there's this place in my frontal lobe that i've just set aside this is my greed place right over here i've got a place for lust and back here i've got a place for unforgiveness And I've just, there are places in my mind where I can ruminate on ungodly or sinful thoughts and it's cool right there. It's not going to be challenged right there. Not right now. We'll, We'll deal with it later. I'll come to church on Sunday and repent. Maybe I'll go to community group and repent there. But there's a place where I can just let it go for a while. And that's okay. Brothers and sisters, we both know that ain't okay. Amen? So, If you choose to allow your mind to be fixed on things that dishonor God, then you'll eventually become a person who dishonors the very one that you say that you worship. Because when when you ruminate on something, when you put something before you, when that is what captures your mind, your thinking, you're going to become more and more like that thing. We've got to be careful not to uh, deceive ourselves. It's easy to get deceived on this, but the scripture here says, Take captive every thought. We're those who take those thoughts captive. Now, that word there, take captive, is a word that was used of taking captive prisoners of war. And so, in, in, in In ancient days and even today, when you take captive a prisoner of war, the prisoner of war no longer has any say over what they do, where they go. They have no say over any part of their life. What is the scripture saying here? It's saying take captive of your thoughts in such a way that you are able to command your thoughts what to think about. Amen? You're taking them captive Brothers and sisters, when you see as I see, and it's going to happen not once, not twice, but over and over and over again in our lives, those thoughts that you know don't honor God come over and over. God is saying, now it's time to take those thoughts captive. I've given you this weapon of warfare. It's divinely powerful. Use it. God's calling us to use that. How can we do that? Take captive these thoughts. I love this verse in Philippians chapter four and verse eight. It says this, finally brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think about such things. This is training our minds. Listen, brothers and sisters, I'm not, li- I'm not unlike any person in this room. My mind goes all kinds of places. And a lot of times, I gotta rebuke my brain. I have to rebuke my mind, but I come back to this scripture. This is a scripture that I wish every person in this, uh, in this church would memorize this scripture. Whatever is true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, Think on these things. I need to tell myself right now, you're not doing what God said. God, help me to redirect my thinking by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit to redirect my thinking in a direction that honors you, God. That's where we need to go with that. So that was the third fundamental. Let's look at the fourth fundamental briefly. The fourth one Now, this isn't really a fundamental skill in basketball, but it's a fundamental idea in basketball, and that is every player has a right to the ball. If the ball's on the court, now that's only if you're on the court, not if you have the best seat like I used to have, but but I didn't have a right to the ball when I was on the bench, but if you're in the game, you have a right to the basketball. That's important to understand. Now, in spiritual terms, spiritual warfare, what we need to know is this, that every Christian has direct access to God's grace. Tell somebody next to you, I've got access to God's grace. Every Christian has direct access to God's grace. Look at what the scripture says in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Romans 5 verses 1 and 2. The scripture says it this way, Therefore since we have been justified through faith we have peace with god through our lord jesus christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of god now that could be 10 sermons right there in those two verses amen but i just want to I want want to jump on one aspect of what it's saying. Because of the work that Jesus has done, and we've been justified, declared not guilty, his righteousness has been given to us, our sin has been put on him. Because of that, now we have peace with God, the scripture says, and verse 2 says, we have gained access. We gained access not only to God himself, but we gained access by faith into his amazing grace we gain access so that now we are those who live in who are surrounded by who are overwhelmed by the grace of the Living God toward us listen what, what does this mean it, what it means here is that now you if you are a believer in Jesus you have total unfiltered, behind-the-scenes, VIP access to God's grace. You got the VIP pass, you can go backstage, you can get right up close, you can touch the, you know, if you go to a concert, you got a VIP pass, you can talk to the artist. God is inviting you into that intimate place where you can be with him and what you receive in his presence is not condemnation. It's not a, I told you so, but it is the grace and the love of the eternal God. That's what we now have. We are recipients, and we have direct access to the grace of God. The life of a believer is rooted in the eternal, all-powerful, and ever-present grace of the living God. Brothers and sisters, what does that mean to me and you? It means that we don't have to hide anymore. It means that we don't have to pretend anymore. It means that we can expose ourselves to the truth because, listen, whatever you're trying to hide, God already knows about it. He knew about it before the foundation of the world. He knew about it before you became a Christian. He knew about it while you were doing it. He knew about it all along, and yet that did not stop him from from coming from you. He came for you. He loved you with an eternal love. We don't have to worry about being found out because God already found you out. And in finding you out, he loved you anyway. Listen, brothers and sisters, we need to demolish the lie that God is angry with us, that God is coming to get you if you mess up. I don't know about anyone else in this room, but I know for myself, let me just tell myself a little bit here that I grew up as a kid, and even as a teenager, I lived in a whole lot of fear. My life was marked by fear, and if I look at my life, I can't really see any good reason for it. Can't say from my home life, or uh, my family, or my neighborhood, I can't look at those things and say that those were things that should instill a great deal of fear in me, But the reality was, I was a fearful person for most of my life. Um, I would not attempt things. I wouldn't even try things if I didn't know I could do them well. I would just rather hold back, lay back. If if they had hashtags back then, which they didn't, but I would say, hashtag playitsafe.edu. That was me. Play it safe, be careful. Don't expose yourself. Don't become vulnerable. Play it safe, Larry. But somewhere, somehow along the line, God changed my life. And when I came to know Jesus Christ, and I'm not saying, I'm not acting now like I don't have any fears anymore. I still have fears that I have to overcome and deal with. But God changed me from a person who was marked by fear to a person no longer marked by fear. Amen. Look, I'm the pastor at New Life Church. We're, I'm in the middle of a church that is trying to do a new work here where we're becoming a, minor, a, a majority, minority church where we're giving away power, where we're doing all these things. This is not the job for a fearful person. Amen. amen. I'm married Harriet. That's not the job for a <laughs> fearful person. If y'all knew her, you would say amen and glory to God. The Lord has used her greatly in my life. But we get to a point where we understand that we have this access to God. Listen, this is what it means. Direct access to God's grace means you don't have to live a life of fear or play it safe. You can trust God and stretch out into the deep. We have direct access to God. On the basketball court, you've got a right to the ball. But what happens? Not every player on the court ever gets to touch the ball. There are some that have as much right as anyone else, but they don't touch the ball. Some of us can be in church week after week, be in small groups, be in all kinds of Christian things, but we never really experience what it means to have that direct access to the freedom and the glory that we find in the grace of God. If you're on a basketball court, some guys get the ball because they're ferocious rebounders. They will knock you out of the way, and they're going to get that ball. Others play tenacious defense, and they're going to slap that ball away. They're going to get that ball. Others are great on offense. They can shoot the ball, and so they're calling for it. Give me the ball. I did that. Give me the ball. We want the ball or we, we run around in such a way that we get open and we get the ball, you need to do something to put into practice the right that you already have. And even though you have access to the grace of God, the question of the day is, how can you take better advantage of the access that God gives you to live in his grace? We need to take advantage of that. We need to be tenacious about that. We need to go for that amen amen let's look at the last fundamental here this is the most basic thing about basketball this is what you need to know the team that scores the most points wins at the end of the game they don't tally things up and say you know when he did that layup he just did it. He did an underhand scoop, put it off the board with some backspin, and that went in so nice. I know it's supposed to be two points, but we're going to give him five for that. That was so pretty. That was so nice. They, They don't, at the end of the game, say, you know what? They lost 110 to 97, but their uniforms were really, really nice. Did you notice how they were tucked in so nice, and their socks were just matching perfectly we're going to give them 15 more points and all of a sudden you win the game no it's how many points that you score on the basketball court well here's the last thing we're looking at here i want you to i want this to be in your mind as you think of spiritual warfare as you think of what it means to be in spiritual warfare this is the simple fact christians are overcomers christians are overcomers That is what God calls you. That is what God calls me. And listen, if God calls me that, I'm just dumb enough to say, all right, I believe it. If God calls me that. Look at 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4. Last scripture that we're going to look at today. 1 John 4 and 4. The scripture says this. You, dear children, are from God. And have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Amen. Amen. That ought to be good news to somebody. The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. There's two realities that we see in this verse about overcomers. First of all, the first reality is that you come from God. You come from God. A few years ago, my wife and I did our Ancestry DNA, and surprise, surprise, I've got a lot of Irish blood. I think I already knew that. My wife found out she was from Benin Benin, and from Nigeria. It was great to find out. I even found out that I had less than 1%, not from Europe, not from Ireland, but from Asia. I said, look at that. And then the ancestry DNA tells you exactly where that is, and I looked at the area, and it was in the far east of Turkey, actually. And I looked up the far east of Turkey, and I said, wait a second, that's where Mount Ararat is. That's where Noah and them were. I said, I knew I was from Noah already. That's not new news to me. You can look up your ancestry DNA. You can find out where you're from. You can find out all of these things, but if you understand your spiritual ancestry DNA. As a Christian, you come from God. He's my Father. Jesus Christ is my brother. The Holy Spirit walks with me and lives in me. You come from God. And that is the second point. Not only does it say that you are from God, but it says, having overcome them because of the one who is in you. Not only am I from God, but the eternal God of the universe who spoke into nothing and planets and stars leapt into space, who said a word, and where there was no sea, there was a sea, and where there was no mountain, there was a mountain, there was now a mountain, and where everything was created by him, this eternal God of the universe lives in you and in me. That is a glorious reality that we need to hold on to as believers in Christ. Believers in Jesus. Believing in Jesus makes you an overcomer by nature now here's the struggle for us we need to walk that reality out day by day we need to walk that out year by year we need to walk that out in community we need to walk that out with our brothers and sisters in christ when you were born again by the power of god and when jesus took up permanent residence in your heart through the holy spirit You just outscored anything and everything the enemy could ever hope to do in your life. You win. The score is stacked in your favor. You have won if you're in Christ. And nothing can change that score. Listen, let me conclude this sermon and this whole series with with this idea. Believing, well, I've said this many times, I think, during this series. Spiritual warfare isn't just a strange season in your life. It's not an aberration. It is normal for every growing believer to experience spiritual warfare as a part of your regular diet as a believer. It's not a strange thing. If you are a threat to Satan and his kingdom, He's coming for you. Now, I say that confidently. I say that knowing it's true. But listen, y'all, I wish it wasn't true just as much as you do. I wish that wasn't true. I wish that I could get to a place in God where it would just be smooth sailing. It's good. I'm good. Y'all good? We're good. Okay, let's just love Jesus. Let's pray some prayers. Let's, let's sing some songs and let's just enjoy life in Jesus. But it's not like that in the world that we're in. Listen, if anyone's ever had a broken arm or broken leg and had a cast on, you know that when you get that cast off, your arm, and you look at both of your arms, all of a sudden one arm is smaller than the other because you haven't been using that muscle, right? You need to use that muscle, and if you want that muscle to grow back to strength, it needs to face some resistance. It's only going to grow if it faces resistance. Let me say this to you, last thing here. Spiritual warfare is God's weight room. It's designed to give you power to do exploits for the living God. Listen, we're not just going through this life to say, okay, I made it, and one day I cross over into glory. God wants your life to count here and now. God wants to get your weight up, your strength up. God wants to use you for his glorious purposes in this world. We're not here just to be Christians and to check off a a, a mark on something, but we are here to send notice to the enemy that we're about to do God's work. Amen. And listen, as we do that, as we do God's work, and as we do that together, we're not going to do well. We're not going to make it, y'all, if we think that I'm just going to fight this war myself and I'll be okay. That's why I'm so glad we started our community groups and 120 people signed up and people were in community groups on Sundays and on Tuesdays and on Thursdays and on Fridays, all these different days, all over the city and in the suburbs, God is at work, and we need to do that together. Together by the grace of God. The Lord is able and willing to bring us through. I'm so excited as we finish up this time on spiritual warfare for the next couple of weeks. I'm going to talk about the church body of christ what we are and what god calls us to as the body of christ but i hope and i pray that today you hear this message god has made you an overcomer and we are able to do great things for god as we put our trust in him alone bring every thought captive to the mind of christ and live for him. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you so much for your glorious goodness in Christ. Lord, you have made us overcomers in Jesus. Lord, I thank you that you are continuing to do what only you can do in the lives of your people. Have your way in this church, Lord God. Use each and every person under the sound of my voice for your glorious good purpose. I pray it, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.